0: And so would you turn in your Bibles with me to Jeremiah chapter 29, as we start a brand new series, and if you've got an old-fashioned Bible, it's kind of just over halfway, and you'll see kind of Isaiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, otherwise turn with it in your digital devices. And on your screen, you'll see that our new series for the next three weeks is called Hashtag Staying, and I want to just explain why this series, why now, Why have we called this series what we're calling it? What do we hope to communicate? And what are we not saying through the course of the series? Um, For those of you who are online in any way, you would know that we're playing on a little phenomenon that's happening in our country right now, which is this Facebook group, which is heading very quickly to a million people, called Hashtag I'm Staying. And really the heart and soul of this Facebook group are are people in South Africa who are stubbornly choosing to believe in South Africa. And, and, and what's going on in the group are just stories and experiences right from some of the big experiences of our nation, right down to little stories that happen in the streets and in the grocery aisle, just about how good our nation is. And it is very uplifting. If you're not on there, you need to check it out. Now, if I had to ask you all, well, why do you love our nation, our country. I'm sure we could spend hours just talking about how good and beautiful our country is. I mean, more recently, we've become the World Cup Rugby Champions. And, and it's been incredible to see how this event has united our nation in such powerful ways. We've also seen the Ndlovu Youth Choir. And if you haven't seen them on America's Got Talents, man, they just rocked the world and showcasing South Africa on a public stage. We've got Chad LeClo, who's just won gold in his swimming. And we've got this interesting story about the KFC marriage proposal. Do you guys know about that? All right, this guy got down on his knee and he, he asked his woman to marry him in KFC. So Oaks, that's possible, all right? Um, <laughs> Now he wasn't filming it for his, someone else filmed it and the internet being what it is, started rashing the guy like, how dare you ask your wife to marry you in KFC? And then our nation came to his defense and we've got celebrities making their dresses in their suits and uh, we've got celebrities being their DJ and we've got money pouring in and these guys are going to have a wedding that's going like, to make kings and queens drool. Um, and, and again, this is just like, wow, that's our nation. But then we've also got our challenges, right? And I know that some of you are just experiencing the financial challenges at the moment. Some of you are just so downhearted because of some of what we see in terms of corruption. And man, shouldn't we be moving a little bit faster in some of these things? Some of you are struggling to find work. Some of you are just, uh, um, you've experienced crime. Some of you have even experienced violence crime. And so, some of you are asking the question, should I go somewhere else? And I know that if you're asking that question, you're asking it with a broken heart. And you're asking from a place of frustration and anger and real hurts and real pain. And so, back to the series, hashtag I'm staying. Is this series a series about immigration? The answer is no. Is this a series on why you should stay? The answer is no. Is this a series on why you should go? The answer is no. Is this a series on how awesome our nation is? The answer is no. So Stephen, what on earth is this series about? And the series, oddly enough, written from a chapter in Jeremiah almost two and a half thousand years ago, is a series on what it means to be a Christian wherever you are, hashtag stay. So whether you're living in Johannesburg or Cape Town or the Kalahari or Europe or Australia or the United States, If you're a Christian, we're going to talk about what it means to relate to the culture around you. I think we can all agree, especially those who are maybe older amongst us, that things have shifted there. And what could be assumed morally 10, 15, 20, 50 years ago has changed. When it comes to the place that Christianity holds in our culture, be it here or anywhere overseas, that has changed. And so what do we do? And I know in many ways, we as Christians are, are feeling so fragile and are feeling also just pain and fear around us. In the series, we're also going to talk about how, especially today, how do we think about home? And as Christians, is there a framework that can shift how we think about home, that wherever we hashtag staying, we become a blessing to this nation? So let's go and dive straight in here. Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're just going to read for today. We're going to be spend three weeks on this passage, but for today, we're just going to start off with verse one and two. And so this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. The prophets and all the other people, Nebuchadnezzar, had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the Queen Mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. And so you might read that. You're saying, Stephen, I'm struggling to see the connection between your warm-up and those verses we just read. Help me out here. And I'm so glad that you asked. Because in order to do that, we're going to press pause in Jeremiah 29, even though we just read it. And we're going to take a few steps back and we're going to see how Jeremiah 29 fits so snugly into the larger theme of Scripture from page one to the final page. And we're going to be speaking into a theme that comes out so strongly from Scripture. Even though you, in terms of the podcast you listen to and what you watch on TV and even what you've heard here, is not a theme that often comes out strongly in our preaching. And you're going to see this as a major theme. And Jeremiah 29, is just a bit of a sharp focus in a particular moment that exposes God's heart for His people in this particular way. Because I think for so many of us, the way we read the Bible is kind of like watching five minutes of a Marvel movie, thinking we know exactly what's going on. And any Marvel fan or any Marvel geek here will tell you, you can't do that. All right, You've got to understand that all these characters have stories and, and backstories and origin stories. You've got to understand there's a Marvel Universe and they would say, not only can you not just watch five minutes, you can't only just watch a movie, you have to watch all of them. All right, And you have to geek out and become a fan on this stuff and, and really understand that as much as this movie was awesome, when you see how it fits into the bigger picture, that's even more awesome. And so we're going to do that. And you're like, Stephen, you're going to speak through the whole of Scripture today. You're like checking your watch, cancel our lunch plans. No, I really hope to be done by a normal time. But we are going to kind of deal with this topic, which I'll talk about now, in a way that today's preach might feel a little bit different. And I'm going to geek out on theology a little bit, geek out on a little bit of history as well. And I'm going to ask you to kind of choose to engage. And maybe this is not what you're normally used to hearing in the format that you're used to hearing it. But I can tell you now that if you get today, so much else of how you see God and your role in this world and how we engage culture will fall into place. And so I'm going to say your attention is worth it this morning. So the theme that Jeremiah 29 raises is the theme of exile. And I actually chose to to underline the words that came out of Jeremiah verses 1 and 2. So what is exile? Well, exile is basically the state of being displaced from your home. And taken into a foreign place, forcefully. Alright, so this is not a holiday. All right, this is not even immigration. This is a forceful, often due to war, often due to being a prisoner of war, or maybe due to drought, but being in a foreign place that is not your home. You see, home is where your heart is. Home is the food and the smells and the people and the faces and the culture that you know and love. And really your identity is enmeshed with that place and everything that place represents. And now you've been displaced, you've been put into a foreign culture with food that just tastes and smells and looks weird and different, language that you maybe don't fully understand, practices and morality and behaviors that you don't fully understand. And now you're forced to call this place home, even though your heart is still there. And so something I got from Richard Van Lyssen, who preached a few weeks ago here, he spoke about the difference between capital H home and small H home. And exile is living in a place that is not capital H home, but you're forced to call it small H home. And if you imagine just being in this foreign culture, forcefully, economically being at the bottom of the rung of the ladder again, not knowing how you're ever going to get out of this. And what does this mean for my future and my kids' future? And at the same time, you're going to be thinking about what home was like, capital H home. And you're going to talk about the food and you're going to talk about the memories and you're going to talk about the experience and just your nation and your country and what that felt like. And probably the closest I've ever experienced this was, or at least the first time was, um, I wasn't in exile, but did go on holiday. First time I ever went overseas was to London, spent two weeks there. And uh, I was in my mid-20s, and I was going to be staying with a friend of mine for about two weeks, and he happened to be working on the day I arrived. So the plan was kind of a step-by-step plan. Here's what you need to do. Here's where you need to arrive. You need to sign in. I still remember that lady at customs. She was so scary. Oh, my word. I thought she thought that I was a terrorist or something, the way she grilled me. And then she saw that I was just a terrified 25-year-old. And... um, let me through and then just kind of catch this subway, get onto this bus and eventually find your way to my friend's house where someone would have the key for me. And so I was on probably my second or third little uh, subway detour and I'm sitting there and I'm feeling a little bit nervous. Uh, and even though, I mean, in England they speak the same language as us, which helps, um, just, just so aware that I'm not home. And I'm in this different place and I don't know what's going to happen in the next you know, couple of hours of my life. So uh, I was in the subway and the subway was full. And, you know, when the subway's full, you tend to stand up in the middle and you hold on to those thingies. And um, there were two big guys standing in front of me, also standing, holding up. And um, the doors opened at the one platform and a really, really attractive girl came in and turned around and faced out. So because she was facing out, these two guys in front of me could proper check her out. I'm talking about looking up, looking down, winking at each other, like woohoo. And uh, either she sensed the creepiness or the next platform was her legit stop because at the next platform she got out. And I saw these two guys look at each other and they said to each other, Moy. <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> Something on me was like, Yes, those are our boys. A little like connection to your home, and woohoo, proudly South African. But this theme of being displaced and being in a foreign place forcefully comes out on page one of our Bibles. And what we've got is the first uh, humanity, Adam and Eve, they're placed in a place, capital H home, and that place is called Eden. And Eden has everything that capital H home needs to be natural beauty, lots of food. They were running around naked all day. Everything they did prospered. And they worked and they took care of this garden and it was fulfilling and they had purpose. God was there. Their relationships were perfect. They're perfectly transparent, perfect love, God's presence, God's blessing. I mean, that is everything that we hope home to be. Then a time came where sin and brokenness was introduced into this world. And God said, that is not okay. This is a place of perfection. And so you have brought this in, so I need you to send you out. And Adam and Eve were taken from home, capital H, home, and they were forced to make small H home out in a broken, hostile world where humanity unraveled very quickly and our selfishness and our pride and our hubris And just the fact that we were always rebelling against God and ultimately there was landed up in murder. The, The earth was working against them. You can just imagine. I mean, you and I haven't experienced that level of perfection. And imagine the conversations between Adam and Eve. Do you remember? Do you remember what that was like? You can just imagine the heartache and the longing, but they could never go back. But God's purpose has always been to restore that story. And so he started a a plan of restoration, starting with a person, one family, Abraham, and his descendants ultimately became the nation of Israel. And what was promised right from Abraham and that promise went through every single generation is I have a capital H home for you. And it is gonna be a land I give you. And it is a land flowing with milk and honey and the time comes where God miraculously brings his people out of a time of wandering and great need into this promised land. And what we see over a few generations is how the borders of Israel were expanded, were solidified. They were under King David, and especially under King Solomon, great times of peace and prosperity. And you can imagine that the human race living on that piece of land were so blessed like, wow, uh, the land is giving us fruit, and our stocks are healthy, and uh, our, our animals are, are just, you know, they're they, they producing. Um, there's wealth, there's prosperity, there's peace, God's here, there's Jerusalem, the, the, the city of God, there's the temple. So there's kind of beautiful enmeshment of relationship, culture, land, prosperity, God's presence. And then what happened in Eden started to happen there. And at a wholesale level, sin started entering this space. And God sends prophets to warn God's people Listen, if you carry on like this and warn the leaders, if you carry on like this, what happened to Adam and Eve and Eden is going to happen to you. And the sun grew and uh, the various leaders and the, uh, the people of Israel started worshipping foreign gods, worshipping them in, in not just worship and song, but in despicable ways, often with prostitution and even with some of these gods, the killing of their firstborn children. And the morality of Israel changed to such a degree that God came in, and we heard about this through the Book of Jonah the last few weeks. He brought the Assyrians, and in 722 BC that brought an end to Israel, the ten northern tribes. And in 586, 587 BC, God brings in the Babylonians and the King Nebuchadnezzar to destroy the two remaining tribes, Judah. Destroy the city of Jerusalem. Destroy home. Destroy the temple. And that didn't happen over a cup of tea. That happened over bloodshed. And those who were remaining were taken out of home. They saw their home destroyed and they were taken into this foreign Babylonian culture. And suddenly they have to make small age home there. But can you imagine how painful that was? With their family members and their death fresh in their memory. And they're surrounded by foreign smells and foreign food and foreign sexual practices and foreign worshipful practices and foreign just culture and ways and beings and even foreign sights. And you can imagine the longing of capital H home, but we can't go back there because we are in exile. The entire book of Lamentations is about exactly that. In fact, also Psalm 137, verses one to six. Listen to the heartbreak, the pain and the longing in these verses. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Just a word for Jerusalem. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for our songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. And they said, sing us one of the songs of Zion but how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem this picture of capital H home and everything it represents, my highest joy. And that brings us Back to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah is a prophet and he is writing to these exiles who are experiencing life like this. One of the things that starts to shift in Jeremiah 29 is listen, yes, this is the consequences of generations of sin and brokenness and the Lord has been just in doing this to you. However, this is not the end. And Jeremiah starts prophesying, along with so many other prophets, that there is going to be an end to this exile. There is going to be a time where God brings you home, capital H, home. And so there's a famous verse, which I'm sure will come up over all three weeks of the series, verse 11. Some of you have this on your coffee mug, you've got bumper stickers, T-shirts, it's your WhatsApp sort of profile picture, where God says, "'For I know the plans I have for you,' declares the Lord." plans to prosper you and not to harm you and plans to give you hope and a future. And for so many of us, we've been taught that that verse means, if God is on my side, I'm never gonna experience difficulty. I'm never gonna go through a hardship and God wants a full bank account. He wants me to be healthy and wealthy and happy. Amen. And I hate to tell you, that's not what this verse means. God is writing to exiles who are experiencing the loss of their land, the loss of the presence of the Lord, the loss of their identity through great pain and sorrow and loss. And God is trying to say to them, I'm not done with you yet. And I'm gonna restore you as a nation. My presence is gonna return to the temple. And somehow, in some way, you will be home and the fullness of what that means. And so the way that the kind of the next big part of the story, and you can read about it in the book of Haggai, the book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah, under the king, King Cyrus, he, with his blessing, he sends the Jews back to Judah and they arrive back to this broken land, to a broken city and a broken temple. And those books just tell the story of building the wall, building the city and building the temple. And for those who had never, they were actually born in exile. By the way, that verse that we love quoting for another plans. God says, there's gonna be 70 years between now and the time of your return. So a new generation comes home and they're excited about what this means. They see the wall, they see the city, they see the temple. But there's an older generation who saw the previous city and the previous temple and they're weeping. They're saying, this is not how we remember home. This temple is nothing like the former temple's glory. This city is somehow missing something. And they were broken hearted and, and Israel this time and for hundreds of years following, we're still under uh, the oppression of foreign rule. And, and so, oh, is this even our place? And they started to wonder, are we even fully home? Because we're home, but it doesn't feel like, capital H, home doesn't feel like God's blessing and presence and promises on us. And so the prophets continue to talk about the time when God's presence would come to the temple and would bring a greater glory that brings us to the New Testament, that brings us to Jesus. Now, even if we see, as we think about Jesus, Jesus was an exile. He came from this place of perfection, perfect relationship, perfect power, perfect love. And he came into our state of exile. Our world of brokenness and pain and restlessness and sin. Jesus never owned property. Jesus took on most of, in fact, on the cross, all of what we experience as the consequences of sin and of exile. And yet Jesus always spoke about capital H home. He spoke about where he came from. He spoke about where he's going. And famously in John chapter 14, he says, I'm going back there, but I'm making a way for you to come with me. And so Thomas says, but how do we know? How do we know where you're going? And this is the way Jesus says this. He says, in my father's house, we heard the song just now, are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I'm going home so that you can go home. But where, Lord? How, Lord? And Jesus says, Thomas, you know the way. And Thomas is like, no, I don't. And so Jesus says, I am the way. He Doesn't say he has a time period and eventually you'll find home and the Romans will be gone. He doesn't say, oh, it's somewhere else on planet Earth. Says the location of home, capital H, home is a person. It's me. And one day you're gonna be experiencing the fullness of my presence and my blessing. And that's gonna feel like, Home where all your deepest longings are fulfilled. And this is a bit of a shift in the narrative because up to now, Babylonia has been a place. Sorry, Babylon's been a place. Jerusalem has been a place. Exile has been, you're not on this piece of planet Earth, you're on that piece of planet Earth. And at at this point, suddenly Babylon is no longer about a city. It's about the entire state of the world's empires and the brokenness and sinfulness of planet Earth. And Jerusalem is no longer about a physical city on a piece of land in the Middle East. It's about this home that Jesus is calling us to and he's brought in many ways into our state of exile with his physical presence. And exile is no longer about Geography point A versus geography point B, but rather we are living in exile all the time and we're experiencing the brokenness of this world and our hearts are restless and we have a longing for something that nothing on earth will ever satisfy. And so the New Testament writers pick up on these themes. Paul says in Philippians chapter three, verses 20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. Hebrews eleven thirteen 13 says, all these people, remember a few weeks ago, we spoke about the faithful ones of Hebrews 11. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They had not gone home, capital H, home. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. The word there's literally exiles on earth, sojourners. 1 Peter 2 verses 11, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers, as sojourners, as exiles in the world. And The point is this, if you live on planet earth, it doesn't matter where you live, you're in exile. And it doesn't matter whether you live in Johannesburg or Cape Town or a farm or Europe or the Americas or anywhere, you are gonna be experiencing the brokenness of what it means to be in exile. And at the same time, you're gonna be experiencing this longing and this desire that man, there has to be more. There has to be more than this. Because we're living in Babylon and our hearts yearn for everything that home represents. Now I wanna press pause on kind of working through the biblical narrative. We're gonna get to how that finishes up. See, I've got a few places that have really gripped my heart in South Africa. The one is the Eastern Cape, what used to be known as the Transkei, the Wild Coast. And when I'm there, something about the Pullman male genome means that when we're there, we feel home. All right, and and when I'm not there and I see photographs and I have memories and and I can smell the bra and the fire and the wood that we use to burn and this the the, the idea of fish on the coals. Man, my heart yearns. The other place for me is is the Drakensberg. And if you've ever experienced some of those, just those mountains and and the wildness and the majesty of the Drakensberg and sometimes I see pictures and I'm like, oh, my heart breaks, I I want to be there. And as much as those two places are so idyllic and are so powerful in my heart, we still experience brokenness there. My extended family's experienced violent crime in the trans sky. Sometimes I don't catch fish. All right, sometimes we can be in the trans or the Jockersburg and we can have marital issues and the family can be a total wreck. And yet there's something within us whether we're experiencing the best or the worst of planet Earth, that we are longing, we are longing for a place that is saturated with physical, creational beauty, a place where human interaction is beautiful and powerful and transparent and saturated with love, a place where every action is filled with purpose and meaning and everlasting consequence. A place where God's blessing and, and presence and power is there in its fullness. So it doesn't matter where you are, we long for those things which is home. C.S. Lewis, who had, just has a way of putting these things into words, he says this, for, the, for they are not the thing itself, meaning whatever that is for you. For me, I just mentioned the Transkire, Darkensburg, they're not the thing itself. They are only the sense of a flower we have not found. The echo of a tune we have not heard. News from a country we have never visited. And if we look to anything, small age home on planet earth, we will never have our longings satisfied. Because what we're really longing for is only given to us in the person The presence of Jesus, and home, And we're gonna see now how the entire biblical narrative ends here because we're talking about Jesus, all right? We're talking about Jesus and he says, listen, I've got a place for you. We're gonna go home, you're gonna come there. It's nowhere on planet Earth. So does that mean as many of us have been taught either intentionally or maybe just by leaving out parts of the Bible in our own teaching, does that mean that there's gonna come a time where this entire creation just kind of disappears, poof, and all of us just go to heaven, whatever that means. Floating around like spirits, like, you know, just woo, singing songs all day long. To be honest, that doesn't sound like a great future for me. Now, is there anything up to this point in the narrative of Scripture speaking to our deepest longings and purposes that points towards this kind of weird, disembodied state floating around these clouds singing songs all day long? The answer is no. Think about Eden, it is filled with everything. Food and culture and relationships and and beauty in God. And and, and Israel, especially under certain kings, became a bit of a picture, a bit of a, yes, God's not done here. A place, relationships, peace, prosperity, God, worship, purpose. And so what we see on the last page of Scripture and and in the narrative of history, what we don't see is a creation that is, okay, your job's done. Now everyone's going to float around in heaven all day. No, what we rather see is this. Listen to Romans 8, verses 21. Creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And so creation's glorious future is somehow tied into our glorious future. And as much as you and I have been set free from the power of sin, the presence of sin is still there. But there will come a time when the presence of sin is gone. And the same is going to be true of our creation. And yes, there will be a judgment where death and decay and sin will be dealt with. The, The Scriptures talk about the day of fire but there's gonna be somehow a continuity, just like there'll be a continuity between you and your glorious future, there's a continuity between creation and its glorious future. That's, I I can't even begin to fathom what that's gonna be like. But this creation liberated. After all that is evil and works against God's purposes, is judged and destroyed. We go to the final, literally the final page of Scripture, and it gives us this picture It's not about us going to heaven, but heaven coming to us. The picture of this heavenly Jerusalem coming down. In this verse, Revelation 21 verse six, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And so our eternal future is this glorified creation, this glorified state. And the, the, you can see the Bible authors just don't have the words to fully describe this. So I can't do better than that. There is, just for those of you who are wondering, there is this kind of question around this time between we die and the time that this all happens. And the scriptures frustratingly don't have a lot of clarity around that. And so we can debate those things over coffee but what the scriptures is crystal clear on is that's temporary. And this return to home is the hope of the believer and the hope of creation. J.D. Greer is one of the pastors I enjoy. He says, man, oh man, if Hawaii is this beautiful in broken creation, how beautiful is redeemed Hawaii gonna be? And if steak tastes this good in broken creation, how good is steak going to taste in redeemed, how, in, in redeemed uh, world, right? Some of you are thinking, no, 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 it's all going to be vegan. I, I don't know about that. We'll see. I think God can overcome the physics involved with that. Anyway. And so I understand that today's been quite a stretch and I hope you're still with me and over the next two weeks we're going to speak far more practically around the implications of recognizing that we are in exile wherever we are and how we live that out and how we engage culture and what that looks like. But I just want to leave us with one thought. And the thought for us today is this. We have to live as if the story is true. See, there's kind of two ways to walk around planet Earth. The one is to recognize that on one hand, there is beauty in this world, there's beauty in culture, there's beauty in art, there's beauty in relationships. But then we also have the brokenness of pain and suffering and when people go wrong and sometimes entire nations are subjugated and oppressed and sometimes even violently destroyed by people. And we live in this broken creation that on one hand can give us the Drakensberg and, and the beaches of the North Coast, All right. And can also give us disease and earthquakes and disasters. And for some of us, that just simply means, well, I just hope my blessings outweigh my curses. And I hope that that's what a good life means. And if you're in the minor percentage that that's what life looks like for you, well, amen, praise the Lord. But if you're kind of the 97% who experience far more difficulty and hardship and suffering and oppression and injustice, than blessings and, and beauty and all the things that maybe give us great joy in life, oh, well, sorry, tough. Doesn't matter how godly you were, doesn't matter how kind you were, That's just your lot to the end. That's one way of walking around planet Earth. The other way is to realize we're living in that same world where we get to experience the beauty and the majesty of Earth and relationships and beauty and art and culture and we also recognize that we're living in exile and the brokenness and the consequences of sin and, and even the brokenness of creation itself. But it's not, oh, sorry, the end. It's, but God is not done yet. And that God has brought the new creation here into our exile in Jesus. Which means that in Jesus, we are going to start experiencing the fullness of our heart's desires in Him. And one day throughout the whole of creation, as He redeems us as His rightful Lord and King. And somehow we've got to live as if that is true. And somehow we've got to live as if pain and suffering and difficulty is not the end of the story. That we have a real hope This is not the kind of like Facebook post that just makes you feel good about yourself for a few seconds. This is a real and certain hope. Think about the Lord's prayer. Lord, let me die and go to heaven. No, no. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, bring the fullness of you and your presence and what our hearts desire, bring it here and let Christians who trust in that and who are submitted to the power of the Spirit and let churches who trust in that be outposts that shows the world that God is not yet done with sin and suffering and pain. And somehow we live in such a way that has this stubborn hope, not in necessarily a nation, but in God's story of redemption. And that's what the next few weeks are gonna be about. And in this way, churches and Christians should become signposts of this hope. Earlier this year, in fact, it was over New Year's. So end of December, early January, a bunch of us went camping in Mozambique. And we knew that in front of us was a grueling two-day drive. All right, and if you've ever been to those border posts over Christmas season, it is insane. It is about 47 degrees Celsius. So we got up kind of, I think we started driving at three o'clock in the morning. This long drive, get to the border post and you just know it's hot, it's sweaty, dealing with officials and inefficiencies and just all of that. And, and it's the furthest thing from beaches and palm trees. And at some point you get to the other side and you carry on going, but now you're frustrated, you're hot, you're, you're dehydrated and man, it's just, it's just a hassle. Wake up the next morning in the car again, get stuck behind these big trucks and whatever. But at some point you see a sign, 200 kilometers to go. 100 kilometers to go. And at some point, it doesn't matter how tired you are, how dehydrated you are, how frustrated the kids are in the back seat. You start feeling hope. You can start seeing the white beaches. Your whole mood changes. You are drooling with the anticipation of what it means to be standing with your feet in those crystal clear blue waters. And that is what God has for us. But here's the thing we weren't making a big deal about the signposts. Woo, 200 kilometers to go, take a photo. Look how it's been painted. No, it's about what it's pointing towards, and you and I get to be those signposts. We get to live in such a way that pointing towards, listen, your deepest longings, spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, will be satisfied by what God does and who God is. And hopefully, you see something in us that points towards that. We've tasted some of that this morning, right? God breaking through, healing, God touching. I just saw how immersed we were in worship this morning, tasting something of the glory of God's presence amongst us. Didn't that fill you with hope? Didn't that give you resources for facing tomorrow? So I want to pray for us. I'm gonna ask the band if you guys can come up. I want us to sing that second last song. I forget, standing on my feet here, what it's called, but I want us to sing that song as a church. Sorry, the second song, not the second last song. And so let us pray. Father, I love how real your word is. how real the worldview that you paint is, that yes, we can live in this world and just fully appreciate how painful it is sometimes. And Lord, I'm so aware that there are people in this room right now who have experienced to a great degree the brokenness that this world brings and are experiencing the heartache and the sense that this cannot be, this cannot be how the story ends. Father, I thank you that you have not left us there. Thank you that there are little glimmers of the beauty that you have placed in humanity and in creation. That you point us to and Jesus ultimately that you brought close to us in your son and now you give us in your presence. And thank you that we can somehow taste something of home in your presence. Father, thank you that there are signs in this world that point towards a greater future. It's not just about an infinite worship service. It's about us desires being satisfied beyond comprehension by you and by what you give us. So Holy Spirit, i ask that that hope become real and tangible to us right now. Because we need, we need that hope.